tossed the ball in very gingerly, and this time the bat connected. A grounder right to the pitcher. The pitcher picked up the ball and threw it over the head of the first baseman out into right field. And everybody yelled, run, Shea, run! Well, Shea had never run to first base in his life. So off he goes, eyes wide, mouth open, he gets to first base. The right fielder throws the ball over the head of the third baseman. And everybody yells, run, Shea, run! So Shea takes off for second base. When he gets to second base, the shortstop on the other team guides him toward third base. And now everybody on both teams are screaming, run home, Shea, run home, run home. And he did. He made it home and 18 boys. All the kids on both teams lifted him up on their shoulders as a hero because he had hit a grand slam and won the game for his team. So who were those boys playing for that day? They were, that's right, they were playing for Shea. They didn't play for the score. They didn't play for anyone's personal best performance. They didn't play for their team. They played for a disabled boy. Who do you play for? I asked you that question when I was with you last month. You were very encouraging about that sermon. And so when I was scheduled to come back for two more sermons this month, I decided to expand this idea into a series of three sermons. It's going to be a very short series, just one more. But the most powerful punches are not the big roundhouse haymakers. They're the ones that are delivered up close and short. So I am really asking God to make this a powerful, very short sermon series. Last month I asked, who do you play for? I asked if you are on God's team. And we learned from God's word that our worship is not about us. Our worship is about God. This morning, I'm asking the same question. The same question, but with a different emphasis. I'm going to tell you again that it's not about you. What I want to tell you this morning is that it is about serving. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and in a few moments I want to read the first 11 verses there. Last month we talked about some of this, but I want to come back again because Americans have so much of this turned around, especially when it comes to spiritual issues. Here's an example of what I mean. Every year, churches across the country change their gathering schedules to accommodate the broadcast of the Super Bowl. I've read about churches that bring in big screen televisions. I've read about churches that do meals in the church building so that their members don't miss any of the pregame show driving back and forth to church. Now, now next week we're going to talk about the importance of reaching out to the unlost and taking the gospel to those who are not saved. And sometimes those kinds of events do that. At the same time, sometimes we go so far out of our way enabling the converted 
to continue to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. Here is the crux of the matter. Many people are trying to decide what is more enjoyable to them. They're asking themselves, what is more enjoyable? What do I like more, going to church or watching football or baseball or basketball or golf or just whatever season it is? What do I enjoy more, going to church or shopping for some things that I really need at Walmart? And because, as a culture, we're going through that struggle, I'm going to say again to you, It's not about you. And it's not about what you get out of it. I learned that from the second chapter of the book of Philippians. Here we will discover Jesus himself demonstrated that it wasn't about him. He shows us it's about service. So let me read to you from Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better. Than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Apostle Paul begins this section with a plea for unity. Throughout his writings, and especially in this letter, the Apostle Paul begs us to be united. Unity was one of the identifying marks of the the early church. And when she worked together in unity, there was power and there was growth. And there were devastating results when she was not And that's true today. People are attracted to Christians who set aside their personal preferences and work together in unity. And the other side of that coin is that people are repelled by Christians who argue and fuss when they do not get their own way. Christian unity is hard to find. And that's really no surprise. I shouldn't be surprised that Two people can't get along because so very often I can't even get along with myself. So let's move right to the very heart of that. 
Why is it we don't get along? What is it that disrupts our unity? The bottom line is, it is selfishness. We get tangled up in what is best for me. We get all caught up in what I want, what I need, what I think is best. And that results in fussing and arguing and people not speaking to one another and eventually a rupture in the unity. And the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes directly to us. And he says, please, do not do that. Not only does he beg us, he tells us where we can find resources for our unity. So I want to take you back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and show you some resources. Let's read that again. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. We learn right here that we are united with Christ. I want to point that out. And I want to camp there for just a moment. We are united with Christ. When we are immersed in Christ, in Christian baptism, we are united to Him. We learn that in Romans chapter 6. And I want to take just a little side trip here, because very often people will ask me, do I think that it is essential to be immersed for salvation? And sometimes I will answer that question with another question. Is it possible to be saved apart from Jesus Christ? Well, anybody that has any understanding of the New Testament will say, no, it's not possible to be saved from sin, saved from the punishment of hell, apart from Jesus Christ. When we come in faith to Jesus Christ, when we have turned away from our sin and we are immersed into Jesus Christ, we are united with Him. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. They read, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life if we have been united with him. What does Paul teach us here? In our baptism, we are united with Christ. If we are united with Him in His death, we will certainly be also be united with Him in resurrection. That's a wonderful encouragement. Not only do we have the forgiveness of sin, not only do we have the hope of eternal life, but we have unity with Christ right now. Do you find encouragement in that? If you do, then let that empower you. And let that unification with Jesus empower you to unite yourself to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you find comfort in Christ's love? Paul also listed that as a resource in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. 
Now, we will turn to all kinds of places for comfort. Some of us look for comfort in food. Others in illicit sex. Some in buying things impulsively. Some people will turn to alcohol or drugs. All of it different ways to find the same thing. Comfort. And the sad thing is that all of those things leave us without comfort. And the Bible tells us where we can find comfort. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Our God is the God of all comfort. All comfort has its source in our Father in heaven. It flows from Him and it can be found in Him. If we do not find comfort in His love, we remain uncomfortable. Uncomfortable people are not very harmonious. If you've ever been in pain and people have tried to be around you and cheer you up, you know that very often when you are in pain, you are not a very happy person and you are not a very easy person to be around. And so finding comfort in the love of Jesus Christ is a wonderful resource for unity. Another resource for unity is the fellowship with the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, when you walk with the Spirit, when you share with the Spirit of the living God, there is amazing power in your life. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that God did not give us a sissified, lily-livered spirit. He used the word timid. He said God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of love, a spirit of power, a spirit of self-control. The result of fellowship is with the Spirit is that you have love and power and self-control. So would you like some peace in your heart? Would you like harmony in your home? Do you want unity in your church? If you do, then share in fellowship with the Spirit. And we could spend a very long time, and it would be a very deep study, understanding what it means to really have fellowship with the Spirit. And so we're going to have to leave that for another time. I don't really have to have time to even dig into what Paul says about tenderness and compassion there in, second, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. The point that I want to make for right now is that we find what we need for unity. We find encouragement, comfort, tenderness, and compassion in Christ. So, if we have all of those resources, why is unity a problem? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have an answer. It's in verses 3 and 4 of our text in Philippians chapter 2. So let's go back there and read a little further. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In Christ, we have the resources we need for unity. And here in verses 3 through 4, the Holy Spirit reveals the source of our disunity. It is our pride, selfish ambition, And vain conceit are the words that are used to describe the great disunifier. 
And that great disunifier is pride. The cure for pride is humility. Benjamin Franklin was once visiting the home of a well-known preacher named Cotton Mather. He learned a life lesson in his home. Let me share with you what Benjamin Franklin recalled. He wrote, He was showing me out of his house, and there was a very low beam near the doorway. I was still talking when Mather shouted, Stoop! Stoop! I didn't understand what he was saying and kept walking and walked right into the low beam and hit myself hard on the head. Mr. Mather said, You're young and have the whole world before you. Stoop as you go through it and you will avoid many hard thumps. Mr. Franklin went on to write, That advice has been very useful to me. I avoided many misfortunes by not carrying my head too high with pride. Most of us have had some kind of similar experience. Maybe it wasn't a low beam that we bumped, but certainly we've bumped into reality because we've been carrying our heads too high in pride. Unfortunately, unlike Mr. Franklin, we're so very often slow to learn the lesson. And we continue in our pride and our self-centeredness. What will cause disunity in a church? What will cause a disruption in harmony in a home? Well, let let me ask it this way. When was the last time you said to somebody, let's use this, just use this for example. My wife and I are not speaking because I insisted that she sit with her feet up while I ran the vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Don't hear that very often. Unity in a church, unity in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood will be achieved only when we live as though it is not about me. And it's not about you. It's about service. That is the message of our text. That is what we have the extreme of example of. In Jesus Christ, we have the ultimate example of it is not about you. Let's go back again and see what the Apostle Paul wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verses 5 through 7. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did nothing did excuse me, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. Now, really what we have right here is a crash course in Christianity. If someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you have the answer right here. It is to have the same attitude as that of Christ. And it's that simple. It is that simple. What does it mean to live as a Christian? To have the attitude of Christ. And it is that demanding. What does it mean to be a Christian? To have the attitude. Of Christ. Do you see any hint in what you read here of Jesus looking out for number one? 
Can you imagine Jesus saying, well, I suppose I could leave the throne room of splendor and I suppose I could go to earth as long as the preacher doesn't preach too long. Do you hear anything that looks like, well, I suppose I could leave the splendor of heaven and I could go to earth and I could heal a few people, but I'd like to get back in time so I don't have to wait in line at the restaurant. And Jesus took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. It was not about him. He teaches us it is about being a servant. And that is why Jesus endured the cross. It wasn't about him. It was about service. Back to Philippians 2 verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we are to have the same attitude. We are to have an attitude of self-sacrifice. Author Jeffrey Collins tells a story And it happened on a Friday. I want to read it to you in his words. It had been a trying week at our love and action office. At five o'clock on a Friday, I was looking forward to a quiet dinner with friends. Then the phone rang. Jeff, it's Jimmy. I heard a quavering voice say, Jimmy, who suffered from several AIDS-related illnesses, was one of our regular clients. I'm really sick, Jeff. I've got a fever. Please help me. I was angry. After a 60-hour work week, I didn't want to hear about Jimmy. But I promised to be right over still. During the drive, I complained to God about the inconvenience. The moment I walked through the door, I could smell vomit. Jimmy was on the sofa, shivering and in distress. I wiped his forehead, then got a bucket of soapy water to clean up the mess. I managed to maintain a facade of concern, even though I was raging inside. Jimmy's friend Russ, who also had AIDS, came downstairs, smelled the odor. Rick got sick too. As I cleaned up the carpet, or or, or Russ, Russ got sick too. As I cleaned up the carpet around Russ's chair, I was ready to explode inside. And then Russ startled me. He said, I understand. I understand. Jimmy asked weakly, What, Russ? Through his tears, Russ said, I understand who Jesus is. He's like Jeff. That night, Russ trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. A God who had showed who had used me to show his love in spite of myself 
Now, it, it might not be someone who has AIDS, but it might be. Or it could be someone who has just had a hard day. Or someone who is discouraged. Or even somebody who's doing fine. But I think that this week, God is going to bring into your life someone that you can serve. You might be more interested in meeting your own needs. Taking care of your own wants. Pursuing your own desires. And when that happens... I want to challenge you. Here is my challenge. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's my challenge for you this morning. Through the week, when you come upon someone who needs your help, when you encounter someone that you can serve, Make your attitude the same as that of Christ Jesus. Maybe you'd like to talk about that. Maybe you'd like to talk about how you can deal with a situation you know is coming up this week. Where you're going to be put in a position where you could serve someone else, but it's going to be really hard to do. Maybe you'd like to talk about something that's going on in in your church family or in your home or in your extended family or where you work where there's a real conflict where there's a real just a, a either a bumping of heads or a parting of ways would you like to talk with somebody about that I'm going to be around this morning your elders will be here this morning and will be very glad to talk with you about what it would mean for you to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. I want to lead us in a prayer to close. Father in heaven, I am going to ask now that you will open doors, create opportunities for us, to do just what we've been challenged by your word to do. To follow the example of your son Jesus. To humble ourselves. And to sacrifice ourselves for someone else. Open those doors. And then I ask that by your Holy Spirit with whom we fellowship, your Holy Spirit who lives in us, I ask, Father, that, that you will empower us. You will empower us to overcome our own desires, overcome our own weariness, overcome our own schedule, our calendars, and meet the needs of people around us. I pray, Father, that you will make us sensitive. Because I know that at least for me, sometimes I just miss. I don't see. I don't sense. I don't know that someone else is in need or in pain or is disappointed or hurting or discouraged. So I'm asking that you will keep us sensitive. 
open the doors. Grant us your strength. And keep our hearts tender. And I ask that you will do that in the name of Jesus. Amen.